Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. We have recently seen the return of the annual celebration of all things rural Wales and Welsh farming. The Royal Welsh, Europe's largest agricultural show, returned after a three-year absence to showcase all that Wales has to offer. In glorious sunshine, the rural community came together to celebrate, but is there much to celebrate in rural Wales at the moment? Joining us tonight to look at that are Emma Rees, Brecknock, Young Farmers, County Chairman, NFU Employee and Farmer. Hello, Emma. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. And we've got Alex Phillips, Policy and Advocacy Specialist at WWF Cymru. Hi, Alex. Hello, great to be here. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, so, as I said in the intro, it's been three years since we've had the show. Emma, just how good was it to have the show back in the rural calendar? Um, it was really good to have it back, um, to see everyone back together, especially in the YFC movement, to have um, competitions um, held in person. And obviously we haven't had a, well, a show for the last um, two years. So it was lovely to see everyone um, that we haven't probably seen um, in many years. So that was good. And it was just great to show, show off the YFC talent that we have across Wales and especially in Brecknock as well, um, being so close and uh, make a good week of it. Yeah, it was really good to have it back and to see everyone. Great. Alex, uh, what was your takeaways from the show? Great to be back. It was, you know, it's one of the highlights of my working year, really. I, I love Royal Welsh Week, always have. I've been going up there for about a decade under various different guys and jobs now. This is the first time I've been with WWF where we've had a stand, which is great as we, you know, we managed to talk to lots of people, see uh, see politicians as well as they came by. But also we had staff show in as well. So we got to see sort of all elements of it. Unfortunately, because I was in so many meetings, I didn't see a great deal of the show as that seems to be always the case you know I'm, I tend to be in out of meetings and I might see about two animals over the course of three days normally but it was great to be back really and to see people in real life again. So if you didn't see much in the way of animal life what about the policy announcements from the show it seemed to be quite free of government announcements or plans from either the Welsh or UK governments was that your assessment too Alex? I think so I mean we were we were expecting the sustainable farming scheme to be launched at the very latest at the Royal Welsh. You know, we've been saying for months, there's no way they can show up at this thing and not have published it, surely. So they were they got out the door a few weeks before, which was good. It gave everyone time to really read through it and start considering it, which meant that discussions at the show were a bit more substantive and about the next steps in the co-design process rather than just arguing over what something could be it was more very much like that's the framework what's in what's out what works for you what doesn't and have those discussions and I think there were lots of events and if you were doing FUW and other groups as well that were really around different themes was in that I'm actually going to some of them but obviously not all of them over the couple of days. Emma what was your sort of take on well, general policy announcements, but maybe the sustainable farming scheme as well? Yeah, well, like Alex was saying, um, it was a good talking point um, that they brought it out a couple of weeks before the show. Um, so it did make like NFU, NFU Cymru, um, and FUW, and all other um, organisations that would have something to do with that. So it was a good platform then for them to have discussions um, with uh, farmers and other people that it's going to affect moving forward. Um, so that was a good base. But other than that, I think, yeah, it was fairly quiet. I haven't heard anything that's come from the show that's substantial. Emma, like, the big thing was the document Alex referred to, the Sustainable Farming Scheme. It came out before the show on the 14th, but nice timing ahead of the show. 
have you had a chance to go through that or you and colleagues had a chance to go through that you know what's your immediate impression about what's been put in there yeah i haven't had a chance to read through it all i've just um quickly had a had a brief overview of what sort of um it's going to entail just looking at the brief overview um it's just good to see that the welsh government are actually like acting on and making sure that there is going to be something after the basic scheme payment does drop off and it's also good to to see the Welsh Government then uh, also communicating with the farming community and other communities that it's going to affect to make sure everyone is in agreement and sort of that everyone can come to some, some arrangement that will suit everybody um, rather than them just coming up with something that's not going to help everyone as such. That's fair enough. It, it is quite a lengthy document in all. I looked at it at the weekend. I think it's 70 plus pages or so. And But just for people listening to, the, the scheme has been designed to support farmers to deliver on sustainable land management. And uh, it's got objectives to do that. And those are to produce food in a sustainable manner, mitigate and adapt to climate change, maintain and enhance the resilience of ecosystems and the benefits they provide, and to conserve and enhance the countryside and cultural resources. You know, this is basically what's replacing cap payments, isn't it, Alex? Are those principles the right ones, do you think? Do you agree with those? Well, I think it's at the level that they've published it, it's very high level in terms of what those things could mean. So I could interpret those things and go, yeah, they're all fantastic. Or I could interpret them as being a bit lacking, really. And I think it will come down to what the co-design process sort of delivers from this point on. But I don't really have any problems with those headlines. I've been involved with this really since the first consultation was in 2017. And you can see how far these things have developed since then as it's gone through various forms of co-production. And one of the things that really struck me when it came out was this is a very good attempt by Welsh Government of taking everybody's views on board and trying to create something that everyone can be broadly happy with as a framework. I mean, it's a cliche to say the devil will be in the detail, but it it always will be because it's down to what will the payment rates be for what, what goes into each category, is it sufficient, will it deliver the change that's needed? I mean, and all that's still to be had. But in terms of a framework to deliver farming support, which is superior to the capped system that we are on our way out of, or technically already left, I suppose, but it's still hanging around in the transition. I can't really complain about that. I think it's a really good basis. And I think a lot of the discussions I was having around the show last week was all stakeholders were sort of in agreement of, we can all work with this, and they much prefer it to what's being proposed in England, for example. Yeah, I, I don't normally comment on these pods, but I, I totally agree with that, having gone through it. I, I think it, there's a lot to be applauded in there. And, Spoke to a few farming friends, and the detail is what they're after, including the payment rate. So that's going to be interesting when that comes out. Emma, there's three distinct layers to the scheme that has been proposed, and it's supporting farmers to achieve the outcomes and rewarding farmers who choose to do more. So you've got the universal approach, you've got the optional, and then the collaborative layers. You work in the farming community. Do you see? Do you see that something that will be welcomed and those enhanced and collaborative aspects be taken up? Um, I think so. Um, I think you're going to have obviously have your standard traditional farmers who are, will just probably go with the universal um, category and just continue to um, go through the farming calendar um, as they always have done. 
And then obviously you'll get then the other farmers who have either diversified or that they want to either gain more money then and um, use the enhancements then going forward. They're probably ones that have used the glass year schemes over the, over the few years and then they'll just continue to do that and then enhance as and when they want. But again, you'll just still get the traditional farmers, I'd imagine. And then the big the group then that would want to enhance and gain more money that way. Alex, do, do you think the approach that they put together with those three tiers is suitable for the Welsh farming community? I think it's the best way of doing it from a policy perspective. You know, they can't make everyone do everything and not everything can be done everywhere. So you've got to break it down based on, you know, what are realistic things that could be expected of everybody? What is going the extra mile and how do they incentivize those collaborative actions from a nature restoration perspective? You know, those collaboration bits are the bits that we've always been missing. We've been quite bad at it in Wales since the coordinating action. And when farmers have tried to do it themselves, I mean, that's great, but they haven't been supported by government to do it. So this actually gives them a way of doing that, particularly when you look at how some of that money is actually going into supply chain development as well, allegedly, but we haven't really seen the detail on how that could work. I mean, the test for me, just obviously with WWF, we are very much engaged in nature and climate emergencies, is whether or not it's going to be sufficient to deliver on both of those agendas and that's really the challenge to government and what will be interrogating them over the next couple of months is actually will the total of these actions deliver in that regard at the moment they haven't got the modeling to show that it does I mean, really, we are in, you know, the, the, the hard facts of the situation is that, you know, nature is declining in Wales, agriculture management is the prime driver of that, but it's also the main avenue for restoration and for good management as well. I mean, those things aren't in contradiction. It's just the way the sector works. Basically, it can do both things at the same time and it needs to be helped to do the right things. And we're also in a situation where agricultural emissions have been on the rise in the last decade. They're now the third largest sector of emissions in Wales. They've just overtaken road transport. They're normally just behind it, but they basically tow along between them and road transport as being like the two, the, the third and fourth biggest sector. So what I'm really interested in is does all this add up to cutting emissions and restoring nature in Wales? And a lot of what's in there can certainly help with that regard. It's just showing, you know, what the workings behind it, would it be able to do it? So in terms of the free tier system, I have some concerns that some of the things in the universal tier won't be sufficient in of themselves. And other things in there I think will be very good. And I think the argument will be over what needs to be in universal, what's okay to be in optional. And that requires a lot of thinking, a lot of evidence collection over the next couple of months to look at what's realistic. You mentioned, I, I'm going off script here as I tend to when someone mentions something interesting, but you mentioned that it doesn't seem the English scheme hasn't really been appreciated in the same way. Are you reformed enough, Alex or Emma, have you got anything on what is being proposed in England and what the big differences are? I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in the English scheme. I have the great pleasure of that working in Wales. It means I don't need to know the ins and outs of what the English propose all the time. But we do have 
rather frequent meetings across the UK and discuss what's being proposed elsewhere. And the general view is that the English scheme started in a relatively good place a couple of years ago and moved to a place that was significantly worse for from a nature and climate perspective than what it initially was, um, particularly that it was really acting on rather low evidence bases and wasn't funding the right kinds of actions. Now, the view is that the Welsh system is much more in tune with what is needed locally and will uh, deliver the change as necessary. But in terms of the specifics of the English team, all I know is that the experts in it say this isn't very good and what we're doing over here is much, much better. That's, that's nice to hear. I'm surprised Welsh Government um, put a press notice out to that effect. One of the things I wanted to draw out of the sustainable document, the sustainable farming document, is that it's, it's one of its key tenets is to keep Welsh farmers on the land. That has to be a good thing, really, with all the current issues around depopulation in Wales and a brain drain. We do want Welsh farmers to be farming Welsh land, don't we, Emma? Yeah, exactly. And um, that's a very important message, um, especially, well, living in uh, Bracknockshire and, well, we're a very rural community um, with lots of farms, farming families and generations which just keep growing and everyone wants to sort of keep farming and it is just important to keep obviously the food production um, in Wales and keep everything sort of all local and we want to um, create the best sort of production of food that, that we can here in Wales and keeping farming on the land um, that's one way of doing it. Alex you mentioned climate change in one of your earlier answers and climate change and the environment has to be a key focus of this document and the way we farm going forward like, do you think welsh farmers are getting a particularly bad rep for a lot of environmental issues and um you know it's appropriate we've got emma because i'm going to mention about the river why and how that's being viewed at the moment well, I think it's really important that climate and nature is sort of up at the top of the agenda with the Welsh Government. And I think we saw from Mark Drakeford at the Royal Welsh last week that he isn't given an inch on that particular prospect. And that's really written throughout the documents themselves. So it's important that they deliver on that. You know, I, I said before that, you know, in terms of nature uh, depletion in Wales, it's it's just scientific fact that agriculture management is like the largest driver of that. But as I said, it's also the main means of maintenance and restoration. And as I said, those things are not in contradiction. Those those things happen completely separately on the same farms a lot of the time. Um, in terms of whether you know farmers get a, an unfair rap, I think you allude when you allude to the why you're talking about sort of a lot of the pollution that's going in there, and farming is one of the sources for that. Um, it's not the only source. I think. The fact that there's been so much focus on the farming element of that is largely because of the lack of regulation there historically, whereas water companies, which is the, the other big player in this space, are already quite highly regulated and they do fail. And when they fail, they fail big. Whereas agriculture is really doing that more diffuse pollution approach, which is historically harder to regulate and just hasn't been. So that's really where the focus has been. Now, I think it's quite good that when Welsh Government talk about it and when they talked about it at the phosphates uh, summit last week is that they have both of those people in the room because you need to basically have a, 
a rounded solution to all of it. And there's other parts of the food system that need to play a role in this as well. So I think it's fair that the attention has been there. And we've had a very long process pretty much of the last decade that I've been involved with in various tangential ways of trying to get to the place where we're in now. And it's really come to it because the situation is so bad. So I hope what they've done will be allowed to function to see if it will work. And I hope the Welsh Government have the willingness to be quite targeted and open with the support that they're going to give to help people get there, because otherwise it won't really work. And I think uh, the rest of the food chain is going to have to get involved in this as well. And I think there's, there's answers to be had from other sections that haven't quite been playing their part up to this point. Um, yeah, I think um, obviously it's important to sort of allude to climate change uh, when moving forward. Um, it's obviously something that is happening and we need to keep an eye on everything. As sort so of for the River Wye, again, farmers seem to um, do get the blame for like pollution um, in rivers and things like that, which does then put a dampener on the farming community um, as they, they get sort of frustrated um, of how that they're trying to follow everything that they they can, all the guidelines that are, are in place. Um, and they just seem that they're just sort of getting backlash from it. Like with the um, sustainable farming scheme as well, if everyone can work together to make sure that every everyone can come up with a solution to help everything, um, then that's the best way to, to move forward, I guess. Yeah, I think there's, uh, excuse the pun, there's an awful lot of water to go under the bridge on there, mm. on that. But uh, as the why is my home river, I do feel very strongly about how we treat that. I think there's an awful lot to it. But, you know, climate change is a massive issue. And I think even at the show last week, the show had to invest somewhere near 100k to help cool the animals in the sheds with uh, diffusers, fans and water. But do you think that, and we're going to say this quite quietly, are there any opportunities for Welsh farmers with a changing climate? Are we likely to see more vineyards and different kind of products and uh, commodities being grown in Wales, do you think, Emma? Um, I think so. I think if um, the farmers feel like they need to diversify in the future or if they have already um, and then they see the opportunity to do something like a vineyard, then it's sort of an excellent thing to do. I mean, if they can, we can also grow other fruit and veg that we don't have to um, import then that'll be great because obviously saves on the air miles I guess the opportunity is there if um, as long as you can see it and if um, the farming community can farmers then they they'll see it and grab it by the horns as they say. Alex you've heard that from Emma you know that oft used vineyard example but I think the WWF have done some work on food production uh, in recent times do you think there's opportunities, uh, obviously, with climate change that the Welsh rural community can embrace? I'm a big fan of the vineyard example, as I, I drink an awful lot of wine. So I, I've often said that like one of the great advantages of climate change is the fact that we're getting some great um, new wines in the UK, particularly sparkling wines, because it's the same geology as champagne. So that's that's my degree. So I go back to that. Um I think there there are some changes to be had. Obviously, we're not going to be doing a huge amount everywhere in Wales because we don't have the soil type in big parts of Wales to really do a lot of horticulture and things like, like vineyards and things. But I think where we can do that, it would be great to explore it. 
and I do like the fact that the scheme is um, offering support for diversification in that regard. I've seen it calculated that we um, we only grow a tiny amount of fruit and veg that we consume um, in Wales, and we do have the capacity using a very small percentage of the land, well within what we do have of the good soil, to produce a lot more. But really, this potentially is an opportunity to change a lot of the system. You know, we are a single crop export orientated economy when it comes to food production. You know, we produce a lot of red meat and we export it around the world. You know, 95% gets consumed outside of Wales, about half of it gets consumed outside of the UK. So there is a huge scope there that means that, you know, you can, there's a lot of headroom to make a lot of changes without jeopardizing you know, food security in Wales or the UK, which is why we talk a lot in terms of food sovereignty, about making the food that we want to eat in Wales in a way that's good for nature, uh, that's good for climate and good for people. It's what we call the, tri the triple challenge within WWF. And when you model all of those things in and you put some constraints on it, which basically says that we want to maintain uh, traditional Welsh family farming, you know, we don't want to go down some sort of industrialised route that we could elsewhere, you know, the back of the envelope numbers sort of suggest that a lot of this is possible. Now, I'm actually working on the big project at the moment to try and make that come to life a bit more and to, to look at what is possible in terms of a pathway towards 2050 in that regard, when you take the assumptions of what's being proposed and what we think is going to change and dietary changes and those kind of things, and then look at the economies of that. And that's such a big project. It's going to be taking me the rest of this year and possibly into the spring to sort of get into it. But there's definitely opportunities there, but we need to reflect on, you know, those opportunities alongside the risks. I, I was speaking to a farmer not so long ago who was very looking at the climate projections and going oh you know we may not be able to put our cows you know out to pasture in the in the height of summer in 20 30 years time we might need to put them in sheds to be cooled down it might not be possible and that's something that you know i think a lot of people in the industry are really worried about what it means for the long term and um, so we need to sort of balance both sides of it really so which is why i'm kind of you know, encouraged by what this scheme that's been announced is trying to do, because it does put opportunities in there. But as I said at the start, they need to map it all and really evaluate what can be possible where and make sure the right support levels are put in place to enable people to respond to the appropriate scale. Whilst we're on diversification, it's uh, one of the big things that Welsh farmers were previously encouraged to do is to diversify into tourism. Emma, have you, and, and I've listened to a lot of the Welsh Conservatives raise concerns about this in the past, is there any concerns in the rural community about the potential challenges that may face, uh, you know, a rural tourism sector in Wales as a consequence of the tourism tax or the changes to uh, non-domestic rates, uh, accommodation levels for, for self-catering properties, things like that that may concern those who have set up tourism businesses in rural Wales? Yeah, I think so. Well, in being in mid Wales, like tourism is very popular and people come to the Bracken Beacons and uh, like the Elam Valley um, every year. And obviously then the rising charges and things could then put jeopardy on the, the tourism sector then for like all the holiday lets that people have. Although I do see since COVID has come, then more and more people are actually diversifying into the tourism industry and going down the route of even if they possibly had a house they rented out on a long-term basis they're changing now to a sort of a holiday let um, because some people don't want to go abroad they want to sort of st and stay in the UK like a staycation sort of thing 
I guess then the sort of the second homes increase of tax and things like that. Probably more in West Wales, uh, we are by the coast. That probably would make more of an impact on sort of like local people who want to buy buy houses, especially like myself. Uh, it's quite difficult to get on the ladder as such. And if you obviously you've got just people that are just coming from away for their second home, and then obviously the prices are going up as well, which makes it even more difficult for people if they want to stay local uh, with their friends and family. Then it's much more difficult. Alex, this is a really tricky one, isn't it? Because these businesses do tend to produce a lot for the local economies and you know provide jobs and money through supply chains, etc. In in those rural communities, but they also do massively inflate the price for local people who struggle to get on the housing market it's a really tricky circle to square isn't it it is yes and it's trying to get the balance of of having the right amount of tourism and to bring into the economy and then having then the people that want to sort of live there as well it's just to make sure it's all balanced out and and everything so it is quite difficult Alex did you have anything to add are you ready for my next horrible question well, I, I think I think you've highlighted a point there in terms of diversification and and farming is that I think the uh, the push towards tourism, which is which has happened like many other pushes, has been a consequence of the system that they're in. And a lot of the times, you know, people who are in farming have to do these things because there's no other option or the system requires them to do it. I remember before I lived in Cardiff, I lived in Cardigan. And I used to regularly go to um, a farm there to go go karting. And I said to the farmer who ran it, I said, So, what made you set up this? And he just turned around and said, Desperation. Because that's that's what they had, you know. They were struggling, and this one thing was, oh, we can put a go kart track in this field, and we can charge teenagers um, ten quid an hour to go and race around and hurt themselves in bushes. So, I do I do wonder about how all that will come out. I think it all is down to like local areas in terms of what rates they do. Um, some colleagues of mine stayed in an Airbnb at the Royal Welsh last week, and I did think, oh, well, that. Well, that still be there in like a year or two years time if the numbers don't work particularly strongly but the key thing to me has always been you know it's it's focusing on the price of the house is one way of looking at it but i also kind of think well actually the really hard thing is about having the, the economy in the place that gives the jobs for people to afford to have those houses the mortgages because you know like relative to other parts of wales your money goes a lot further, but you can't have the job that pays for it. So I think it's what Ellen Jones has been talking about in terms of, well, how do you modify the rural Welsh economy in a way which enables people to stay and to have those jobs in order to afford the houses is part of the solution. And that sometimes access lost as we are busy talking about other elements of the problem. We've had a nice chat about all the potential good bits of what's happening to the Welsh rural uh, scene. But one of the biggest challenges is undoubtedly the trade deals that the UK government have agreed with Australia and New Zealand. I think it's a major challenge to Welsh farming and to Welsh rural life because both the Australian and New Zealand governments can't believe the deal they've got from the UK government. What impact do you think that these will have, well, on, yeah, like I said, on Welsh farming and the Welsh rural way of life, Alex? Well, you forgive me for not being able to remember the, the figures off the top of my head, but I've seen the modelling Welsh government have done for all of these scenarios, and they are all bad. It's just how bad they get, realistically. Every version of a post-Brexit is bad for Welsh agriculture. There's just no two ways about that. I would hope that 
what we need to do as a response in Welsh Government and what we talk about a lot is an agroecological system in Wales. So we've talked a lot about food production today, so we told that a shift towards regenerative agriculture. But what we would see in agroecology is a much wider system change. So it's about investing in the right places to build supply chains and to close the loops a bit. So we're no longer exporting most of what we produce and importing most of what we eat. How do we square that system? How do we connect it up to food poverty and other agendas in Wales? And that needs to be the space that Welsh Government are working in to fight against this sort of global uh, trade agenda, which is fundamentally quite bad for the Welsh way of, way of producing food, because we can't compete with certain other parts of the world because we have chosen that we don't want to produce in that way. We don't want these mega farms. We don't want to be industrialised. We want to keep our families farming the way they always have because they are critical to Welsh culture, our society, and how the rural economy functions. And that means it's going to be more expensive. So that means government has a role to play in making that system work. And it hasn't done that in the past, to be honest. It's all been about how do you get more produced and export it. That's what the food and drink strategy was back in 2013. It was the hit, it was the hit of GVA, GVA or I forget which which economic today. It was the hit of like a seven billion target or some some number that was had a seven in it. And it was all about getting there. It wasn't about anything else. It wasn't about making, you know, a system sustainable, be that economically, socially or environmental. It was just about hitting a number on exports and a value that was, was produced. We need to move away from that. And I think things like the FG Act, which we worked hard on well, over 10 years ago now when we actually started it, um, was about changing it. And what we're seeing now as a result of that is actually let's think about the whole sustainability hierarchy and start with the environment, get that right, because without that, you're not going to have society and without society, you won't have the economy and just build it up properly. So hopefully we can do this system in Wales without facing too much damage from some of these cheap imports. Emma, what's the feeling like on the ground uh, amongst farming uh, communities? Are they as concerned as we've heard about these trade deals? Yeah, from um, like the YFC members and um, the farming community, um, just getting the same sort of response, really, that they're all concerned about the Australia-New Zealand deals. And sort of without repeating what sort of Alex has just said, um, it's all pretty much the same across the board of what people think. And yeah, it's just one of those things that you like to keep everything um, local and we can produce it here. It's just um, making sure it's, it can work and things. One of the sort of big consequences of, of Brexit is the impact it's had on the playing field between exporters in the UK and exporters in the EU. Obviously, though, because of the way that the UK government are handling sanitary and phytosanitary checks at the moment, goods that are coming into the UK from the EU are not subject to the same level of checks, so they're not being checked at all. And goods going from the UK into Europe are being heavily scrutinised. And that is obviously having a financial impact on farmers. Are you concerned that if this is not rectified soon, this could have a really long-term financial impact on, on Welsh farmers? I, I think so, because you know a lot of these supply chains come out of habit. As, as with any sector, you were trying to find your components for of the best possible value for the lowest possible price. 
And, you know, as much as we all love, you know, Welsh Welsh uh, meat or wider UK meat, they can also produce this meat in other parts of Europe to a very, very similar standard. And it's easy to see supply chains go in, oh, actually, it's really hard to get something from the UK at the moment. I'm going to do something different. And equally, and if it's coming the other way and they're just letting stuff in, which is what's going on, does they keep delaying uh, the Brexit checks because Brexit's so good, we must keep delaying it. It's only going to be working one day, one way, really. And this is only going to get worse and worse. And I know of people I was speaking to last week and over the last couple of months that have just stopped exporting. It's too hard, not just in farming, in lots of little sectors. You know, it's it's just, oh, it's too difficult, all these forms. Uh, to go back to the wine example, uh, there's a few people in Cardiff and uh, down West Wales that will tell you all about how awful it is to try and import spirits these days and what changes are coming in. It's going to make it even harder. We've just basically made life a lot more difficult for all the Welsh businesses and as a result, all Welsh consumers. And unless we see a change, which seems quite unlikely in the immediate future that will continue i mean ultimately in 10 years time we'll probably have some of those agreements in place because common sense should prevail um because they, you know they can't keep hiding behind um covid and ukraine as you know its deuces people are realizing what's going on at the moment this week as much as anything else and they're not you know people aren't falling for it they do see what's happening and they do see prices going up and stuff being harder to get and they won't they won't swallow it forever Emma, how has this been on the ground? Have you have you felt an increase in bureaucracy? It's important to mention at this point, though, that despite all these issues, the export figures do seem like they're going up. So is that added bureaucracy a real barrier to export or is it just a, a slight irritant? Um, I think with obviously, it's, I guess it probably just depends on the type of business and whether what they're exporting being the factor of if they're, when they're increasing and things like that. I haven't heard much about sort of exporting and things like that on the ground. It's all been fairly quiet about it um, at the moment, but I guess it's only going to get um, sort of more spoken about. You know, one of the things in rural Wales, which is a big issue, Emma, and comes up in various newspaper articles every so often, is the idea about rewilding, buying farms for trees, things like that. Is that a real concern? So I think tree planting and having 10% of a property uh, to be planted with trees is a part of the, the Welsh government scheme. But is this still a real concern that Welsh farms are being bought up for rewilding and plantations and things? Um, yeah, you speak to sort of members of uh, YFC and also other farmers um, in the local area, and they seem to have sort of the concern about the planting and rewilding. Um, sort of trees I think they feel that possibly their ground is can be used for um, like better better use like food production and as the 10 obviously the 10 percent they just need to maybe look at the bigger picture um, with it all because um, obviously some farms are probably perhaps more woodland now at the moment than others um, some probably have more, uh, obviously bigger acreage so they could possibly cope with more than more than others um, for example, uh, my family farm just outside Bracken, there's probably more less likely uh, to plant trees that, there where they're based. When you look at a farm on a bigger acreage, for example, the other side of Bracken, Talibot Way and things. Um, so I think they just need to, we just need to weigh up and just be sensible about it and also not waste land. And um, that can be used for other things as well. 
Alex, is is that fear of rewilding uh, justified, or do you think there are areas of Wales which could could be, you know, put aside for that type of a project? I, I hate the term rewilding. I'll be honest with you, I despise it. It seems to mean whatever somebody wants it to mean at a different time. And I was speaking to a chap last week who thought rewilding meant um, grass fungus. And I speak to other people who insist it means lynxes. And it's just a catch-all horrid term that I feel that we've just has been badly used and alienates people and puts us all against each other as we feel that we have you know different ideas as to what it would be. I think we've got to do more to restore nature, but that's that's a long way from the current understanding of rewilding. I think we've got to plant more trees. How we do that gets very difficult. You know, um, in terms of the plantation element of it, I mean, that's not something we really want to be seeing. What it speaks to, to me, in part, is the market failure that's going on in the current system is that, you know, people are being forced off the land because of the economics of it or the lack of succession or those kind of things. And they're not able to compete or new entrants aren't able to compete with corporate interests. What that also tells me is that there's a massive amount of corporate money that the Welsh government could make a use of. We call it innovative finance stuff um, in work. And I don't think we've ever got to the bottom of how that would work. In fact, I'm, I'm on a working group with Welsh government at the moment to try and identify what options could be made in Wales. We have a massive shortfall in what it costs to support the sector. Realistically, we know budgets are going down in the next couple of years. So we need to try and make up that shortfall. And is there a smart way we can go about using some of this money and controlling it? So it goes towards good things in the FSS rather than people feeling the need to buy land because that's what will happen if we don't do it right because ultimately they've got more money than us so they can probably do it unless we start regulating who gets to own what, which the Welsh Government understandably aren't that interested in doing. On the tree planting side of things, the 10%, you know, as Emma alluded to, a lot of people will be there. I think if you're an active, you know, last year, I think if you're last year advanced, you're probably going to be close to it. Speaking to the FUW last week, and they were talking about, well, actually, the average tree cover on a farm in Wales is about 6%. And the Welsh Government are including well-managed hedgerows, hedgerows in that 10% as well. And they're allowing the the broad leaf cover in there to count towards the 10% semi-natural habitats cover as well. So ultimately the 10% is actually quite a soft target for a lot of people, which does make me question whether or not they're going to have to be doing more on the optional side of things to make sure we get to our carbon sequestering and uh, nature restoration targets. But equally, I don't, I'm not sure the 10% will survive the co-production because I think a lot of people are focused on it. And it might just be a number that alienates people too much. But we definitely need to be planting a lot more. UK Triple C have said realistically what we need to be doing, and it's massive numbers. And even if everyone did get to their 10% and go beyond, it's not going to be enough to get to where we need to be. So there needs to be a very sensible way of managing that. And I don't think all of the answer is the SFS. It just won't get there. So the Welsh Government's going to have to do other things. And forest creation is going to be part of that. But I think it needs to be done with public oversight and not just with corporates coming in to try and offset what they're trying to do elsewhere in the world. I'd agree with that. Although I, I am going to be interested to see the financial side of this when budgets do come out. But um, Emma, I might open a can of worms here when I start talking about my relatives in uh, Breckenshire and who does what. But you mentioned Talabont, and uh, 
my cousin's a new auctioneer at Talibond, and I find it really interesting that it's a cooperative market. Do you think a cooperative approach is something we should see more in uh, Welsh agriculture and rural Wales? And is this something we can learn from that cooperative approach and machine rings and how farmers do cooperate? Yeah, I think so. Myself, I've never really been to Talibot Market, so I can't comment on uh, how that, that all works. But um, if everyone works together, yeah, it could be a way forward. I think that the main thing around the, the market is that it's it's owned at the end by the local community farmers, so they operate that. And I just, I just thought that was a really good model. Alex, have you, do you, have you seen anything else in rural Wales which is a model which would be useful going forward? Well, I think what you're what you're hinting at there, which I think is so important, is this notion of equity, which I don't think we've had because you know the farming system it's been regulated by distant Brussels for decades. It's had very little touch on the Welsh government. Yes, they can, you know, they can fiddle on the seams of it and set certain percentages and do some local things, but fundamentally it's been removed. It's been outside of Welsh government's control a lot of it. And what we're moving to now is something which is needs to reflect equity across Wales in all of the demographics. And I know Mark Trafer got in the trouble by mentioning this the other day, but he was hinted at this there, that actually this needs to be justifiable to everybody. And we're working on a number of case studies linked to the agroecology um, side of things that I mentioned earlier on about how people are working in co-ops to try and source, you know, grow foods for communities where everybody chips in. There's a lot of examples down in Pembrokeshire of going on at the moment. Forgive me for not being able to remember the precise names of all the farms, but it's something that we need to embrace. You know, we, we've got a long and positive history of, of co-ops in Wales. As, as you guys will know you know and we need to make more of that and it's understanding where the welsh government can really influence things where farmers can influence this and and where uh, local suppliers can be involved in it you know i always remember many 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 years back i worked for a dairy and they used to be hit by supermarkets all the time like demanding they put their products on offer which basically meant the supermarket wasn't taking a cut. It was the dairy that was losing all of its profits margin and selling stuff at practically a loss because it had to still pay its local farmers for the for the more produce. But, you know, ideally, that kind of stuff wouldn't be reliant on these massive supermarkets to take their products. We need to do more with food hubs and cooperatives in Wales that allow us local people to get hold of stuff without the profits being siphoned off into big, big companies that neither of us see the benefit of. So I think that's a really exciting part of what's being proposed. And hopefully over the next, you know, 10 or 15 years, because this is a slow transition, too slow from a climate perspective, I should add, far too slow. But we're going to get there eventually where we can make these things actually work for everyone. You know, you mentioned the milk, the dairy side of things then. And we talked about the Royal Welsh earlier. You're all too young to remember this, but the best stand that used to be at the Royal Welsh was the Milk Marketing Board stand. It was really good. Everyone, whenever I've dealt with milk, everyone has been owned the death of the Milk Marketing Board. It is before my time, but every single person, if they've ever changed one sin, they'd say, can we have that back, please? I don't fully understand it, but everyone seems to say, can we have that back? And you've just given a very good reason that I didn't hear before. You're milking it now. I've got one last question before we will go home. Alex, you alluded to um, decisions about Welsh farms being made in a distant place in the EU. You've also alluded to the comments that Mark Drakeford made last week at the show about subsidies. Do you think that 
there is still a disconnect in Welsh farming between those who are actually on the ground and those decision makers in Cardiff Bay. Does Cardiff Bay feel as far away as Brussels to the average Welsh farmer, Emma? Speaking from rural mid Wales, I guess it, it depends on sort of who is representing your constituency. If you've obviously got someone with a rural background who grown up from from this area, then you feel like that they could. Uh, well, you'd like to hope that they would then take it down to Cardiff Bay and sort of then bring things back um, to show that that Cardiff Bay is doing what it should do. So we've actually had both James and Faye on the pod. Uh... Emma, so oh, okay. we've had their input several times. Matt, you looked questioning it. Have we not we had, Faye? had Faye on? No, we was, haven't had Faye on. Is, was, was Faye on the, the Huston? Faye was on the we panel did. we did way uh, before, yeah. No, we, we have had Faye. James, though, haven't we? We've had James on, yeah. Yeah, well, like James, he's sort of been brought up, um, like, grown up in the area, so he's sort of known how, how rural Wales works. And so I can only really speak for this area itself. And I think it probably doesn't feel as far away as Brussels and things. Um, but there probably is some things that will probably need to be worked on. But overall, I think it's pretty good. Obviously, there are their faults with everything, but uh, I think it's, it's doing its job. I mean, I think I don't think it's as removed um, as other things could be. I, I think there's often a difference of opinion and a difference of understanding across the political spectrum. So obviously, the Conservatives and the Lib Dems, and to a lesser extent, Pride you know, are, are sort of from a very different part of Wales in their thinking than the Labour Party are. And I get the sense sometimes that that leads to some confusion and problems. And I think the relationships have been quite bad between the farming unions and the Welsh government of late, largely due to water regs. But I think they've turned the corner a bit in the last couple of months. I used to work for a, a farmer who was a politician from Bretnock. And, you know, I, I always felt that they always represented the rural community really well, and they always got heard in government, um, particularly from the civil service. There's an awful lot of farmers in the civil service. People don't often talk about this. Um, they're based all around Wales, and often the disagreements are between civil service and ministers more than they are between civil service and opposition uh, politicians. So it can seem removed sometimes, and that can be down to personalities. But I do think that fundamentally, the Welsh government understand what they're trying to do, and they do need to recognise that this is, you know, this is Welsh public money. So it's going to need to be spent in the way that the Welsh public are happy with. Now, I think Mark Drayford made that point rather poorly. But fundamentally, it is still the issue they have to deal with. And there's no longer the protection of saying this is Windfence money from Brussels. This is money that's competing against your NHS, eventually local school. That's, you know, fundamentally why I know I spoke talking to the people in the NFU. They were like, this is why Brexit's such a bad idea, guys, because we can't have this Windfence anymore. We're going to have to have these arguments every year against NHS waiting list. And we're not going to win those arguments every year. And that's just the cold, hard reality of it. Um, so we need to get a lot better at doing this sort of talking to one another and building equity throughout the system. There's people in rural Wales want the same change as people in uh, urban Wales want. It's just their voices are often lost because sometimes politicians from rural areas only represent certain areas of the, of the community and not all of them and not the majority. So I do feel that we are getting somewhere positive, but I, I think it basically comes down to personality sometimes. If you get a, if you get a good minister... 
everyone understands each other. If you get one that's hell-bent on a course of action that nobody really agrees with, it all falls apart rather quickly. But I don't think they're that remote. I, I, even regardless of what party people support, in the last 10 years, I've worked in various forms of Welsh politics. Um, other than a few exceptions, I've never doubted the integrity and the desire of people across parties to do what's best for their communities, even if they don't agree with uh, each other all the time. Thanks to both of you for coming on. It's been really great to speak to you this evening. If people want to hear more from you, where can they find you on Twitter, Alex? I'm at, at Alex Leo Phillips with two L's. Thank you very much. Emma, are you on Twitter? Um, personally, not myself, but you can find um, Bracknock YFC on there and also Wales YFC are on there as well. Well, thank you again for both of you for coming on this evening to talk to us. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please don't forget to find us on Twitter and Facebook at Pod or on our website, www.walespolitics.com. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.